0: listening to the Jelly Donut Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I talk to the best and brightest in finance and economics. We'll go beyond just theory and discuss some of the most important real-world macro questions of our time. What happens next and how does all of this end? Pull up a seat and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today on the show, we have Ben Hunt. Ben is the Chief Investment Officer at Second Foundation Partners, a consultant for large institutional investors. He's the author of Epsilon Theory, a newsletter and website that examines markets through the lenses of game theory, history, and nature. Over 100,000 professional investors and allocators across 200 countries read Epsilon Theory for its fresh perspective and novel insights into market dynamics. In prior positions, Ben has managed a billion-dollar hedge fund and served as chief strategist for a $13 billion asset manager. He has a PhD from Harvard University, was a tenured political science professor, and has co-founded three technology companies. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Ben Hunt. And welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me so the first thing i like to do to start out with guests is to talk a little bit about what you were doing professionally during the global financial crisis obviously to kind of step, set the stage we had you know snl crisis we had the bailout of long-term capital management if anybody read uh, when genius failed you know we've had crises along the way but nothing like we had in 2008 You've talked a little bit about uh, Lehman and Repo 105 and, and some of your writings at Epsilon Theory. So take us back to that time and, and really what, what was going through your mind.
1: Sure, happy to. I, you know, I was co-managing a, uh, a hedge fund uh, in 2008. We had started the fund back in 2005, and, you know, we were part of a larger asset manager, um, and we we started this uh uh, hedge fund, long, short hedge fund, equity-focused, uh, and we were had done really well in 05. We'd done really well in 06. We'd done really well in 07. And um, we actually had a career year in 08. It was, um, you know, obviously a year where most hedge funds did poorly. And, um, you know, it was, it was we really differentiated ourselves, uh, in, 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 2008. And when I say do well, we were up 20 something percent, uh, for the year. Uh, and that's running really, you know, net long, uh, you know, slightly net long most of the year. So it was, it was a real, it was a real victory for us professionally, right? And, and so, uh, you know, whatever other successes I've had in the investment world, since 2008, you know, over the last 11 years, I, I think really stem from um, doing really well for our clients in a in a really terrible year. And what I would say, though, is that the <laughs> the the what what my experience in 08, you know, really really changed over the course of the year. And what I mean by that is you know, we came into the year with a, with a pretty negative view, uh, and, and we really had our investments, uh, positioned really well for, uh, for what was going on, right? Uh, which was that we had, I think, been, been, been early and, and, and right in understanding that all of, uh, certainly the financial sector, uh, and its, um, you know, embrace of uh, mortgage-backed securities, it was all predicated on this idea that it was impossible, uh, to have a, a nationwide decline in housing prices. And that, in fact, if you had that, then the, the whole house of cards would come essentially tumbling down. And so, uh, um, you know, we were well positioned for that and we, you know, zigged and zagged and, and, in, in good, Good fashion throughout, throughout the year. And, uh, so we were making money. And in this business, when you're making money, especially when other people are not, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, 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 I, right. you know, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 a great feeling. And then I remember, uh, it was towards the, um, you know, the September of, of 08, when uh, the stresses, the real stress began at Lehman. You're having the meetings at the the Fed and Treasury, and you know you're kind of waiting to see what news would come out of of these meetings. Were they going to let Lehman go? Were they going to try to do some sort of bailout? And of course, the the result was that they did let Lehman go. And I, I remember that morning we were really well positioned in our investments for this. and so we're, we're making a lot of money and i and I just remembered vividly thinking to myself uh that morning, well wait a second we're we're doing really well here, and we what but what if there's no one left to pay us our money <laughs> <laughs> and and it was about that time where I started to get a couple of calls from 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 people I knew at 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 Lehman uh, who were Describing to me now, they're, you know, packing up their stuff in boxes and, 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 you know, walking out, being 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 shown out the door. And it it all of a sudden became uh, no fun at all uh, when 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 Lehman went out. It um, uh, my perspective on on everything changed pretty dramatically. Uh, where for the for the first time. It was very clear to me that, that, that we were, we were at the edge of a, a real precipice here, um, because there, there really was a chance for the whole ball of wax to come unglued. Right. About, yeah. So, so, that, that was the first, you know, real change in my, my, uh, thinking, uh, about, about financial markets. It had, it had been a game up till then. A game that, yeah, you know, we were doing well at. And that, uh, forever after that, it, that, you know, there's still a game element of it that, that any investor is trying to solve. Uh, but the, what I like to call in what I write, the metagame, the, 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 the larger game, the forest and not just the trees, uh, it, it that was, that was a really, uh, um, a meaningful moment to me. And there was another very meaningful moment about a month later when the US Treasury announced uh, the temporary liquidity guarantee program, which you know, I will tell you was you know, much more important than TARP or, or, or any other government program in uh preventing the uh the falling off of a precipice from the entire system from coming unraveled. And this was a, uh, a program where the United States Treasury announced that if you were a bank holding company, if you were a, a, uh, a nationally registered and uh, uh, regulated bank, that uh, you could issue senior unsecured debt backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. I just, I mean, I mean that's that's an incredible statement when you when you when you think about mm-hmm. it. Over the next two days, after the the Treasury made this announcement, both Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs became federally registered and regulated bank holding companies. Uh, they 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 had not been before. And then over the a period of a couple of months, both Morgan Stanley and and Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs issued. Tens of billions of dollars in, uh, unsecured debt that was, uh, essentially co-signed by the U.S. government mm-hmm. and saved those two firms. And I, and I don't, I don't, I guess, regret it. I, 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 the, it, it bothers me to this day when you, you know, hear a Lloyd Blank fine or, or, or someone like that say, uh, oh, we were never bailed out. May have been true about TARP, but the fact is that in that that Q4 of 2008, you saw the you saw the naked sinews of power, as I like to call it, uh, in the in the financial system, where um, the government didn't matter whether you're a Republican or Democrat. What it mattered was uh, you were going to bail out these financial firms. And it, and it does bother me that that bailout is not really recognized, um, and that it really came at what I would consider to be a, a, an enormously low price price paid, both in monetary terms, but more importantly, price paid in terms of uh, what I think should have happened, which is basically wiping out the equity holders and the the the, the particularly the Managing partners' equity in those firms, uh, but that didn't happen. And right. That 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 was the the second big revelation for me coming out of 2008. First, it was that it stopped being a game for me personally, and that second, I saw again what I would describe as the the naked sinews of power. That 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 pleasant veneer, that skin of of Rules and fairness it uh, it it it, uh, it it goes away pretty fast when when the the system is truly at stake. and again i I don't I'm glad that the system was saved, right, <laughs> right. Uh, but it 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 does bother me. It bothers me to this day that the price paid for that saving uh, was borne by all of us. And in my view, not at all by the people who were both most responsible and should have borne most of the cost of that.
0: Right. And also with Goldman and Morgan Stanley being able to tap the discount window after converting to a bank holding company and getting those benefits as well.
1: Well, you know, there's a, this is true for the entire banking sector. And again, I get it. I, I get it. So, so, you know, the, the system we have in our country, and you really saw this play out in 2009 going forward when the 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 Fed launched uh, quantitative easing uh, that is you know buying stuff uh particularly uh, ultimately they they bought some mortgage backed securities but mostly US treasuries and the way it you know it works here as opposed to, to other countries is the Fed doesn't buy those securities directly from the treasury It doesn't monetize the debt directly in that respect. It's not, it's not one arm of the government buying debt from the other arm of the government. Right. There's an, an an intermediary that is those, those primary dealers who, uh, buy, uh, U.S. treasuries and then turn around and sell them, uh, back to the government, just this, this other branch of the government, other wing of the government, uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve. And they make a spread on that, they make money on that, and they get interest on the reserves that they have. So you're right that it's kind of a uh, uh, it's a it's a profit um, uh, mechanism uh, to support the big banks. That's 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 absolutely true. It is separate and in addition to what I would describe as the solvency support. Uh, that the banks received uh, at the at at the end of two thousand and eight, uh, you know both are definitely uh, aspects of our of our financial system
0: yeah so let 's talk a little bit about you know you mentioned quantitative easing and it 's you know it's been very well documented and you know there's there's a lot of information on online to read about this, but basically the Fed creates digital usD in a computer, so it 's a digital form of dollars, and then they're they're going out and buying you know, whether it's treasuries on the open market, as you mentioned, from these primary dealers, and of course, pushing down the yield. And there's this kind of narrative out there and this people are kind of talking about it. Well, okay, this is just an asset swap. And now these banks are credited with reserves. Um, of course, you know, with fractional reserve lending, they can exponentially make the money supply kind of grow there. But instead of investing in property, plant, and equipment, they've done share buybacks and those types of things. So, you know, but the bottom line is, you know, new dollars are created into the system. As you mentioned, they're not actually monetizing the debt explicitly, but, you know, more implicit. So what would you say to someone where they say, well, this is just an asset swap?
1: Well, what I would say is that the, the, the mechanistic impact of QE Buying these securities and putting them on the Fed's balance sheet, that's not the, 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 the real impact of, of, of what the Fed was doing. And it was never intended to be. Look, so, so mm-hmm. the, the, the way that QE, uh, was supposed to work, and I believe very much did work. And, and, and let me say, you know, for the record, I think QE won in, call it, you know, kind of March of '9, I think it saved the world. I think it was exactly what central banks are supposed to do. They are there to be that lender of last resort, to be that liquidity provider of last resort, when the rest of the world is uh, so untrusting of any counterparty uh, that they don't make transactions. And it, it, it is, it is literally the same thing. Well, it's not literally. It is, figuratively, it's the same thing as the, the heart of the global financial system stops beating. And so I, 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 I really think that that sort of emergency intervention to say, no, here's money. We are going to push money into the system by buying uh, treasuries, by, by buying these, uh, these assets from you, uh, you know, Mr. Bank. Uh, I, I, I really think that was incredibly important. The the purpose of it, though, and you know, Bernanke was very clear about this, is is what he called uh, the portfolio channel. It's um, you know, the idea of these large scale asset purchases was was bigger than just okay, let's put reserves into the system, let's buy stuff. Right. The idea was that we would in fact uh raise the price of these uh these things, these financial assets we were buying, these very safe financial assets, you know, US Treasuries and then later uh, uh mortgage backed securities. But the the idea was that well if we if we raise the price here, uh you are in effect Reducing the 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 return that other buyers of U.S. Treasuries uh, are, are 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 getting, right? You are uh, uh, as you said making the yield go down. You're 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 making it more expensive to buy. The expected return then on these on these securities will be will, will be less. So if you're a let's call it you're a pension fund and and you're a big buyer of of U.S. Treasuries. Uh, because at a nice enough rate of interest, you know that you can satisfy your your obligations going forward well at at the new price well you're not going to be able to you're going to have to take more risk in your portfolio so that that buyer of u s treasury short dated u s treasuries is going to have to buy something a little more risky, maybe something with a little bit more duration in it if they if they still want to be um, you know, uh, treasury buyers or maybe they can't get the rate of return they need in treasuries at all. And so they're going to have to, uh, start bidding up, start buying in this, case, you know, and maybe other uh, corporate debt or, uh, or mortgage backed securities. And that'll have this cascading effect, you see, so that, uh, the, the, the market participants who before then were buying mortgage backed securities or corporate debt to, uh, satisfy their portfolio uh, requirements uh, well they're going to have to get a little more risky too. they're maybe going to have to go start buying equities right so it's the, the whole notion was that there would be this multiplier effect this trickle- down effect to force all market participants to take on more risk than they otherwise would choose to do. Right, that's called the, 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 the portfolio rebalance channel. Uh, it was the, the avowed purpose of these large-scale asset pur- price, uh, purchases by the Fed. And it worked in this mechanistic way. What the Fed was was really surprised at, and you know, and Bernanke and, and Yelling were very clear about this in their, their statements, particularly Bernanke when he was doing his retrospective when he was leaving the Fed, was that, you know, as it turned out, we, we didn't even have to do a lot of the actual buying. Um, what we really had to do was use our words to communicate our willingness to do this buy. And that, uh, you know, after a, after a while, we, we, we really trained the market to uh, to buy uh, based on our words and our our, our intentions, our guidance. Our, uh, communication policy and that that was as important as, you know, inflating, uh, financial asset prices as anything we did with, 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 with actual money, the actual, the actual purchases. So, uh, you know, we were really, you know, pleased with that. Where, where we weren't pleased, and again, this is Bernanke talking, uh, is, and it gets to your point about, well, you know, what, the whole point here was 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 not just to to start you know making uh, market participants take on more risk. The goal was to make uh, real economic participants real growth. Yeah, take on more risk, right? That uh, well, we're going to put more money into the into the to the reserve system, and and so you know we're going to buoy uh, the stock market. That that's absolutely part of this, right? Because we need people to have confidence that. They can make investments and, uh, and that they can take risk. But the, the goal is to take risk in the real economy. The, the, the goal is for corporations to actually invest and, in, you know, hire people and, uh, build new factories and that. And that's what didn't happen. That's what didn't happen. All, all this effort, uh, stayed in the financial world, in the financial asset world. Leading to, you know, we, since March of 09, we've had, you know, more than a quadrupling of the the S&P 500. Uh, but it, but it has not translated into taking risk in the real economy. And that to me has been the, 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 the real failing of this, right? It wasn't the initial, um, you know, QE1, the initial emergency action. I get it. I think it saved the world. The, the the issue to me was, was not QE1, it was QE2 and QE3 and QE infinity. And, you know, we're doing more today because the goal of that was to institute a not emergency action to save the world, but uh, a program of action to grow the world. And despite a decade of this being a failure, uh, we continue to do it. And that, that's what bothers me.
0: Right. And earlier this year, you know, on Epsilon Theory you wrote a note entitled A Song of Ice and Fire, and it had a great metaphor relating to science as far as lowering interest rates, let's say from eight to eight to seven, seven to six, and so on. Of course that's gonna encourage borrowing, but you know, when you get down from one percent to fifty bips or fifty bips to zero there is a consensus growing, i think it's maybe it 's taken a while but it's it seems obvious now that you know it 's actually doing more harm than good, and then you 've talked about markets being turned into political utilities. Talk a little bit about and then now you know with this with this repo situation obviously it it seems kind of silly to debate you know, is this q e what should we call this you know before the crisis, the balance sheet was. Obviously, you know, the Fed was in there, ran up to, I think it was 800 billion, nothing compared to the four and a half trillion, uh, that it got up to. And then they said they were going to you know, normalize the balance sheet. You know, it was going to be like watching paint dry yeah. and that quickly reversed. And so, you know, the bottom line is the balance sheet is growing again. You know, it doesn't matter what it, what we're going to call it. So talk a little bit about, you know, and, and you do a lot of work on the narratives that have evolved. You know, over time and talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, you, you know, I, I, I focus on narratives for the, the reason that I described earlier about how, you know, it's not just the mechanistic impact of buying stuff, right? What, what right. has really been the most effective instrument, uh, for central banks. Or the most, let's call it, impactful instrument has been their words. You know what what the Fed would call forward guidance. Um, you know what you know other central banks call their communication policy. And and that gets kind of the the other point I'd want to raise here because you know the 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 U.S. the Fed is not acting in a vacuum, right? So uh, the U.S. was the first to do this this sort of extraordinary monetary policy. And as as Bernanke again, I keep referring back to his his last speech because I find that yeah you know, people often speak the truth you know when they when they leave office um, you know what Bernanke said was well look you know when we started dealing with this crisis the first thing we did was we took our interest rates down to zero right um, these are short term interest rates and he said you yeah, know at the time we didn't know we could have negative interest rates we thought all right we took them down to zero that's it. And then we did step two, which was buy stuff. And then we did step three, which was to talk about buying stuff. And, and, you know, Bert Bakey said, you know, you know, frankly, the buying stuff the actual spending of money, uh, we thought that was really effective in QE1. We thought QE2 was kind of a wash. And by QE3, we thought it was actually, you know, a, a negative impact. Uh, but what we always found helpful was, was, was our words and our language. Well, look, th- those lessons were not lost on the rest of the world, uh, particularly, uh, the European Central Bank, the ECB. So, uh, after a kind of a weird start where, uh, the, the head of the ECB, uh, Trichet, actually, he wasn't buying the stuff, he was actually shrinking their balance sheet, uh, in the, in the, in the early days of the, of the crisis, uh, Mario Draghi comes along and, and they institute their own version of, of of quantitative easing or buying stuff but rather than stopping with interest rates at zero and here by interest rates we're talking about uh, essentially very short-term borrowing overnight interest rates uh, that basically the interest rates that that other banks the the banks in the banking system face right. well you, you know the 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 Europeans said well you know, if going from you know one and a half percent to zero is good, why don't we go from zero to negative one percent, right? Let's let's penalize the banks for having money. Let's penalize uh, depositors for, for for having cash money. Let's a, in a sense fine them with negative interest rates unless they spend the money, right? That's that's the that that was the idea, but. This is the problem with all of these sort of experiments, right? And, and that's what these are. These are experiments that have never been tried in the, the, the history of money. Uh, you know, the, the, the road to hell is often paved with good intentions. And the, and the intentions were good here, right? But, but it has paved the road to hell because our, our human reaction to the words and the narratives that have to accompany negative interest rates Which is essentially, oh my god, (laughs) the system, the the world is so bad, right? We are, you know, the future looks so awful that, you know, the price of money going way out, uh, you know, 10 years, 20 years, you know, we, we gotta pay you to, 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 uh, to, you know, to lend you money. Right? The words associated with that, well, nobody's going to then rush out and spend, right? Nobody's going to go buy something when, 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 when that happens, <laughs> right. right? So the, the, the impact of, of negative interest rates hasn't been to encourage real economic activity. It's, it's, it's only discouraged it. It's only discouraged it. I, I, I like to, there's a, there's an old, uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut novel, uh, called Cat's Cradle, where there's, uh, uh the invention of something called ice nine it's a it's a, an isotope of water that uh, creates a, a ice right in, in in room temperature water and you know even more problematically right it any uh, you know free-flowing water ice 9 touches also becomes ice right? so once this gets out of the lab once it you know starts spilling it spilled a little bit into the ocean well over some period of time all the world's liquid water becomes ice right and we all die no. <laughs> we all die that's the that's the, the the end of, uh, of of cats cradle i i think of negative interest rates as like ice 9 uh because you know once once you introduce them it doesn't it doesn't create more liquid water, right? It, it, it actually makes the situation worse. Right. And, 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 this is the point of my note, which is that you shouldn't think about ice. You, sh- you shouldn't think about, you know, lowering interest rates in, in what's called this, this linear monotonic sense, right? That there are lots of phenomena in nature. And actually the actual transformation of liquid water into ice is one of them. Where when things get colder, right, they don't, they don't necessarily behave in the same way. And, and, and this is, this is true, frankly, for, for uh, liquid water, for like a, a lake or a pond. You know, as, as water gets colder, it sinks to the bottom, right? And so, uh, uh, so that's why when you dive into, you know, a, a, a pond or a lake, the water is colder the, the, the farther down you go, the deeper you go, right? We, we all know that. Right? But a funny thing happens when water gets really cold. When water gets really cold, it doesn't keep going down and sinking to the, to the, to the bottom, right? It doesn't become denser. At about four degrees centigrade, When you start getting colder below that, so three degrees centigrade, two degrees centigrade, and finally you're going to freeze at zero, you're going to become ice. No, water actually becomes less dense. It's It's this amazing property of water that you would never think would exist if you were thinking about it theoretically, if you were just thinking about water in your mind. But if you're actually living in the real world, you see that in wintertime ice does not form at the bottom of a lake or pond. It forms at the top. And that's because as, as water gets really cold, it stops sinking and it stops rising. And because ice forms at the top of a pond, the fish and everything else can survive a winter. And, uh, you know, life finds a way and, and, and nature is wonderful about that. And it's, it's, it, it's just a perfect example to me, and this is the, the, the point of the piece, was is that if you observe empirically how humans deal with interest rates or how, uh, you know, nature deals with freezing water, right, there are lots of examples of, 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 of where uh, changes in, Either interest rates or the temperature of water—it's not this linear, monotonic thing. Um, and you know that if you if you if you treated this, I, I think, um, you know, as an experiment, right? Right. which it is, right? as opposed to some religious exercise where you're saying, "Oh, we have the answer, and we're going to keep doing it, uh, come hell or high water," because what's happening is hell.
0: Right. And when you look at, let's say, Japan, um, you know, obviously the equity market peaked there in 89-90. I think it was around 2001 that their central bank started ramping up their balance sheet, kind of the first inkling of that experiment. Now, obviously, they, they own equities, they own ETFs, but they, they own a large percentage of their own debt. And so some people are kind of looking at that and saying, Okay, could the U.S. Fed come in and, and maybe double the balance sheet from here um, if, if, if things get really bad? Or maybe there's going to be some fiscal stimulus, whether it's, you know, and, and you you wrote a great note talking about we're all MMTers now. Depending which side gets elected, it, it, people are already talking about a, a $2 trillion plan. And how would that be necessarily anything different? You know, the Fed has... Well, let's call it around four trillion. Let's say they, they do a f- fiscal stimulus plan that's about half of that. That may actually jumpstart the real economy. So, do you see them ever being able to, to, to strengthen the balance sheet, or, or, uh, and then what if we go down a scenario similar to Japan, where we maybe double down or triple down on this?
1: Well, let me say this about Japan. I, I mean, Japan. As a society, as an economy, is in a demographic perspective, dying, and and, and and I and I that 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 is a that is a literal truth.
0: It's a much much different demographic scenario.
1: It it is it is I and I I think I get what Japan's doing. I, I and I I don't I don't have a big problem with it. I I, I think that. If if you've basically given up on growth, right, right, and 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 you're saying, look, our goal is essentially, I'll call it palliative care, right? That we want to make our long decline as as pleasant as possible for everyone. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I get it. I, I don't know that I would do a lot differently than than than, than what Japan is doing. I. Um, I don't think, however, I sure hope not. I I really, I really don't believe that the United States, and, and frankly, I don't think Europe is in this boat either, believe it or not, uh, is, is in that palliative care mode for, uh, monetary policy, right? That you're, you're, you're just trying to maintain a standard of living for as long as you can, and let's make it pleasant on the, 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 the long gray slog into um you know a, a, a sad future. Uh, I think real growth is possible in the in the United States. I, I think real growth is possible in, in 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 Europe as well. And 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 what disturbs me, I'll say, right, and there are two things, right? The first is that The price you pay for this sort of palliative care is that you you create it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You create a zombie economy where you don't allow companies to, to, to to default. You don't you don't you don't allow for failure. And, and so you create these these um, very very uh, safe, stable, uh, and yet moribund uh, capital market entities. It's, it's the, the the phrase I use is that what we're doing is we're transforming capital markets into a political utility, mm-hmm. right? Where we don't allow you know we are essentially making it illegal for the market to go down twenty percent
0: this is happening all over the
1: world It's happening all over the world and i I, I get it because you know, you know the the politics of this are so attractive right to transform markets into something that is uh not uh a roller coaster but is a very steady you know, slightly going up every year, um, you know, like I say, utility. The the real consequence of that though, I think, is that when you when you when you not just accept, but where you embrace a low growth future and and you create that and then you 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 spread the ice nine right to uh to uh, to to dampen uh you know companies from growing from 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 building something new from hiring new people the consequence of that is to 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 ossify to to petrify the uh to to eliminate the, the the social mobility that can exist in a society it is to and you combine that with you know the S&P 500 quadrupling like i say over the last the, the, the last decade where you've you, you've had this intentional effort to prop up financial asset prices the result of that is enormous and growing wealth inequality mm-hmm. and my my strong belief is that how that plays out in politics ultimately creates a uh, a conflict and a world that is far more damaging than the what this economist Joseph Schumpeter called the the creative destruction of capital markets and technology and the way our economy works out, I, I, I think we are so far down this path of creating a, 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 a more or less permanent oligarchy, right? You know, in in league with politicians in the state, that it 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 it, it, it Creates, it creates its own demise, right? It, 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 I think it is what is creating the wave of populism you see all around the world. A populism that is, you know, at more destructive, right, than, than, a, you know, than a bear market could ever be. And so, yeah. like, you know, that, that's where I see this all going, and that's why it bothers me so much. Again, and it's a notion had, of hell, you know, the road to hell being paved by good intentions. Yeah,
0: and you had a great chart. I think it was on Twitter that was I think maybe just left without comment showing the the equity US equity market being disconnected from growth, um from GDP, I think it was. And so, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, let's talk a little bit about one of your themes has been kind of inflation versus deflation and, and being kind of the most important thing to get right. And that's actually one of the things that inspired me to do the podcast because I, I, I agree 100%. I think it's, I mean, it's it's been on people's minds, it's been on my mind now since going back to 2012, and, you know, you've talked in the past about visiting, you know, some of these, uh, you know, famous hedge fund managers, some of these masters of the universe, and you know, certain people got things, quote, wrong. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of worry about kind of, you know, inflation going up and people buying gold and things like that. You know, obviously the, the dislocations have been in, in asset prices as we previously discussed, but now there's this, this sense that there will never be inflation ever again. Similar to, there won't, we, we can survive without having market cycles. We can survive without the market clearing at, at a normal market price without, you know, central bank kind of interference. And so, you, you wrote a great note called Common Knowledge of Inflation just a few days ago and how inflation is, is ticked up measured by CPI kind of near a 10 year high. Now, I think on the other side of the coin, people say, well, how, how will they ever normalize this balance sheet? They're going to try like, like heck to, to, to pin rates, kind of the whatever it takes mentality. Um, and so how do you see this playing out?
1: Well, it goes back to something I was saying earlier, right? That, that I think the great failing of the past decade with monetary policy has been that the efforts to get risk taking into the real economy have failed, right? And that the, it's a, it's encouraged lack of risk taking because the the where monetary policy exists financial assets the there is a very low risk way to uh you know continue you know driving your earnings and uh uh you know mm-hmm. far less risky way than than actually you know trying to grow right in, in the real economy <laughs> You you grow by by shrinking your share count by buying back stock. You you, you grow your distrib- your cash distribution to shareholders by by borrowing more money at very low rates.
0: And look, this is the financialization of capitalism. That's right.
1: That's right. And and look, it's it's not it's not evil. It's very rational. Right? Uh, but the in a sense, what I would say is that inflation, financial asset inflation, has been trapped in this world of financial assets. So you know how does it get out? Can it get out? And I, and I think how it gets out is when the i call it the spending moves out of financial asset world and moves into real world. And I and I think that happens. Um, this is what people mean when they talk about fiscal stimulus, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is what they're talking about. It's not. It's not a monetary stimulus, it's not the central bank buying financial assets and hence pushing the price up. The idea is that, oh, let's, let's buy, you know, more roads or let's buy more, mm-hmm. uh, airports or, uh, buy new trains or, 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 buy whatever, right? Let's, let's build ziggurats in the, 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 you know the middle of the country i mean it's it's the same thing right? mm-hmm. and in the in the past, you know one i'll say um, you know limit on this was the notion that okay, if you're going to spend this, it has to at least be justified in some future tenuous way to taxing right that that is the the meaning of taxes, right? If we're going to spend this money, we have to find some way to raise this money. We raise this money by through 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 taxes. Mm-hmm. My my strong view, and this I, I think this is true whether you're on the you know a Republican or a Democrat, is that 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 connection, that that thread, that line, that cord between taxation and spending has now been cut, right? It's why we run trillion dollar deficits every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I think that's going to go up, regardless of who's elected in, in 2020. I think it's going to go up across Europe, right? The the, the austerity narrative that you have to pay for things as you go, it's gone. It's dead.
0: And we're already near near hundred percent levels to, to GDP on the debt
1: you know load in the US? Yeah, but, but see this is what I'm saying. It's 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 that we're a little bit over in terms of, of, of national, you know, debt to national debt to, to GDP. And, and, and that's going to, and it least at 200 and something percent. My, my point is, that, is that you know, if no one cares, right. If, if you don't think that tax, if you don't think that it matters, right. Then that's going to happen. That's going to happen. But there are two consequences to this, right. One is that, just as you saw inflation in financial assets when all the spending took place within financial asset world, I think you similarly get inflation in real world if you get all the spending in real world. Particularly if there's no austerity, there's no taking back of that money through taxes. And, and, and so, 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 yes, I think that's what's going to happen, and I think that's the the the, the catalyst for uh, inflation in real economy, just like we've seen inflation in, you know, asset economy, financial mm-hmm. economy. But, but more than that, I think it, it it'll continue to add to this uh, the the political upheaval that we're currently seeing. Why why do I say that? What I mean, what I, the reason I say that is, well, if taxes don't exist to pay for stuff. Well, then why do we have taxes, right? right. What's the meaning of taxes, right? If, 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 we, if we no longer think that we have to tax enough to pay for what we're saying, but we're just going to spend it, well, well, well then why do we have taxes? And, and, <laughs> right. and, and, and there's an answer. There, there's an answer. The purpose of taxation becomes justice. The purpose of taxation becomes, oh, we want you to quote unquote pay your fair share. Questions, you know, pay your fair share of what, right? The, the, and the answer is, well, no, we're doing it for social justice. That's what taxation becomes. That becomes the meaning of taxes. And you know, if there's a Republican president who says, woohoo, that means that you know, the the, the rich pay less. Because that's their notion of justice, and if it's the the Democrat or the left, it means the 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 rich need to pay a lot more because that becomes justice. My only point is is that when when taxation, the power of government to tax to 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 take from citizens, when that becomes unmoored in the same way that we've seen so much else in our politics and our markets become unmoored from what we believe were the fundamentals of the past, that what I'll call the widening gyre, the polarization, the uh, stress, the political fight within every country on earth is going to become that much more pronounced, right? So, so that, That's when I get really depressed when I, when I start thinking about how the meaning of taxes changes and it becomes a weapon to be used for whatever person in power believes is the appropriate use of that weapon for social justice. Mm -hmm. Look, that, that's when countries break apart.
0: That makes sense. You brought up a great point about, and I mentioned again, you you t- you wrote a great piece called "We're All MMTers Now," where you we discuss the infrastructure bonds. Yeah. If it's a Republican, versus you know, they'll just call it green bonds on the right. Democrat side. It's it's going to be the same thing. You know we've had a few different examples. We had cash for clunkers with Obama. We had I think it was George W. Bush gave everybody a two hundred dollar check at the time. And so, you know, now there's, there's renewed talk about, and obviously it's framed, the narrative is, is UBI and we have this whole new narr- narrative attached to it. And, and there's a lot of talk that that would definitely get inflation up. I mean, if they sent everyone a, you know, a $10,000 check or, or X amount, I mean, all, that would get, you know, CPI of inflation up. Do you see that? And then how do you balance that against kind of interest rates? Obviously, we used to have the old bond vigilantes and, and such. Um, do you see the, the Fed be kind of like losing control? I, I mean, the, the opposite kind of point is if things overheat too much, right? So how do you see that playing out?
1: Well, look, the, what, what happened uh, in 2008, 2009, where we started this discussion, was a, a deflationary shock. Uh, the housing prices in the United States they they all went down nationwide and and we came really close to the entire financial system breaking apart Uh, and that's what a deflationary shock can do to you. and like I say I'm, I'm really glad we didn't we, meaning the, the, the government and central banks, you know, saved the world. I'm still peeved that, you know, there wasn't a larger price to be paid by the people who broke it in the first place. But, uh, but, but that's what a deflationary shock can do for you. It can, it can, it can break your world. And it, we came really close to having our world broken. And so since that date, right, over the past 10 years, the, the, the mantra of, of everyone in government, whether you're talking about uh, in central banks, whether you're talking about elected, whether you know whatever country has been, whatever branch of government you're talking about, whatever branch of the financial system you're talking about, the mantra is never again, right? We're, we're not going to have that again. <laughs> we're, right. we're, we're not going to have a deflationary shock break the world. Um, that can't happen again, and so it won't. Right? So, so, so everything we've done for the past decade has been to—I'll use a World War II analogy—to create because you're always fighting the last war. We've created this Maginot Line, this, this, this huge system of forts and artillery and fortifications to prevent a you know, invasion, you know, from, you know, rolling across the, the, the plains of Europe. Uh, and it, we're, we're not going to allow that to happen again. You know, we're, we're not going to allow that, that deflationary shock to break the world again. But, and this is an overused line, of course, but, but, you know, it is that notion that history rhymes rather than repeats. And, there is a way to break the world through inflationary shocks. And that's where I think we're going. It's a different kind of break, right? It's the kind of break that occurs through uh, political strife as opposed to, oh, my God, the banking system just collapsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a breaking of the world nonetheless. Uh, and that's... Where I see us going, I don't. I I don't think it's really possible to, you know, reverse these things. These are not mean-reverting phenomenon. I think that that what one has to do is um, uh, prepare and endure and try to to uh, to to set the stage to 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 be there when the break happens. Uh, so that we can try to uh try to fix the world again mm-hmm. uh, that that's 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 where I think we're going, and that's what I think one has to do
0: and would would that show up kind of in the long end of the curve just as far as rates rising if if and when that point finally happens i mean we a lot of people were looking at i think it was three twenty there on the, uh, on the 30 year, um, and you know, there's various technicals that people look at, but is that where are we to see the bond market kind of wising up and sniffing out some possible inflation?
1: I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. I, I, it's, yeah. I, I think that what we're talking about here are changes in a, um, I use these words like regime or state change. It's like that change between liquid water and ice. Yeah. Right. As opposed to, Oh, it's, you know, a change from this, you know, this temperature of water to that temperature of water because, you know, interest rates can go up for good reasons and bad reasons, right? Interest rates can go up because, wow, our economy is really growing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it's going to cost you more to 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 borrow money given what you know you think you can do in in real terms uh with with a, a rate of return on that money, but then it can also go up because you think well i I just don't think you're good for the money I don't think you're good to pay me back so i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna acquire more in interest rates because i I think you've got credit risk here right so mm-hmm. it, i'm I'm always leery of of, of trying to think in terms of price levels yeah instead I think it's so important to, to, to think in terms of um, what is the what is the why right is, 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 right that's always more important what what really I think drives everything in you know human history is is less the what and, and it's much more the why you know what 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 is the What's the driver of, of 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 human behavior, both both politically and uh, and in markets?
0: Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense. Um, lastly, I'd like to kind of wrap up with some of the work you've been doing at Epsilon Theory. You know, there's nothing really like it out there.
1: Well, thank you. you know, in,
0: my view, in my view, and um, I know you've you've mentioned in the past that you know, you have a growing uh, mailing list, and obviously there's a subscription uh, element as well a couple different levels, but you know, you could be pension CIOs, you know, bank execs, you name it. a very big audience, some of the largest institutional investors in the world. And, you know, maybe talk just a little to close on some of the work you're doing on narratives and NLP.
1: Well, it, it all goes back to this idea that I, I find what's been so impactful for good and for bad, you know, in, in the world over the for the past ten years has been the role of, of of words and narratives, right? And uh, I think it's something that politicians have known forever. But it's been really over the last decade that the central bankers and uh um, you know corporate CEOs and uh you know Wall Street executives they really understood the power of words, the power of guide of of these narratives and the stories we tell. Uh, and so what what is also developed over the past ten years is the technology to try to measure this, right? So it's it's yes. What I, I do a lot of is a lot of writing and 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 uh, speaking about these these um, patterns of behavior that that you know we've been talking about here on, on on your podcast. But what we're also doing is we're trying to apply these. New technologies that they go into this heading of what's called natural language processing (NLP) uh, to try to, you know, apply those uh, to the to the forward guidance and the words that politicians and uh, central bankers are using, so that we can do more than kind of wave our hands at it and say, "Oh, ain't it awful!" Uh, but we can actually try to, you know, measure. How we're being influenced, um, you know, both to, to protect ourselves, right? But also to try to, like I say, to try to set the stage for what's next. So it, it, it's that research into the science of narrative, uh, that I, I think we, we really are doing something that is, um, something you can't find anywhere else. So that, that's, uh, that's probably what i'm most proud about what we do at epsilon theory is that you know it's not just me ranting and raving about you know doing my grumpy grandpa bit but it's uh, uh actually trying to you know use new technologies to try to measure this to um i think i hope uh, you know make for make for a better world uh after these current dynamics play themselves out because they always
0: do yeah that's that's great I mean the one thing I, I think readers appreciate is is the honesty and the and the analysis and kind of that second level thinking because when you go on any institutional kind of asset managers website yeah. it, it's all the same thing it's this cookie cutter kind of content and it's you don't really get that kind of second level thinking and the, that truth element of calling out really what What's kind of going on? So Thank um you, Ryan.
1: That means a lot to me. It really does. It, yeah. And I think, you know, it's hard because, it, and this is why I left the asset manager, uh, to, to, to do epsilon theory as a, you know, purely independent, totally independent researcher and, and, and publisher. Because I, I think to be authentic, I, I think to, to to speak truth, or at least how we see the truth, it you you have to be independent, right? And and it, and that's that's a that that that's hard to do these days. But it's it, it's it's why we thought it was really necessary to 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 have that independence so we can have what we think is is our is our true voice here.
0: Yeah. And lastly, you know, just kind of wrap up, I encourage everyone to go to the website and, and sign up, but why don't you just tell people how, how they can find you?
1: Sure. Sure. No, thank you. It's, uh, Epsilon Theory. Uh, that's the website, EpsilonTheory.com. Uh, we publish a ton of stuff and, uh, uh you know, we, we, we have some stuff, uh, for professional subscribers. We have, uh, you know, we like to call it you know joining the pack uh for uh, you know when people want to 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 get involved in what we're doing and 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 have direct access to our research but uh you know 90% of what we do is, is is out there uh free for everyone to uh to to read and engage with and we sure hope you will thanks for having me Ryan
0: well thanks so much uh Ben really appreciate it anytime Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can also support the show for as little as a dollar a month through our Anchor website. Just go to www.jellydonutpodcast.com. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter at JellyDonutPod, or you can contact us via email at JellyDonutPodcast at ProtonMail.com. As a reminder, all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or advice.